having purpose in life as one of the most important things you can do for your health. I'd like to welcome Marta Zaraska to the Productivityist Podcast. Marta, thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So you've got a book out called Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. And one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, the idea of, um, especially especially when you're spending more time at home and when you're spending uh, thinking about your purpose and your intention and things like that, uh, it's not about the amount of boxes you check off in your life. It's about the impact that you've had. No one's going to be looking at your <laughs> at the end of your life and going, well, Mike Vardy got 3,623 tasks done. They're, they're going to be, like, your family's <laughs> going to be saying, look at the time he spent. Look at the, look at, you know, look at how, how kind a person he was. What was the, the impetus behind you uh, writing this book? Because when, when I saw the, the book come down my pipeline, I'm like, you know, this is something that I want to pursue because I think it's something that a lot of people don't think about. I mean, I wasn't thinking about it that much myself either. And so uh, I'm a science journalist. And uh, as such, I was writing a lot of stories uh, for Scientific American, for the Washington Post on health, nutrition, and, and all the related topics. And so uh, I just started coming across more and more research that uh, was pointing in a very different direction than I, was, than I was going myself as well. So away from diet and nutrition and showing that actually things like uh, kindness, uh, purpose in life, optimism, empathy uh, actually matter for health and longevity at least as much as diet and exercise, if not more. And uh, so I, w- I just got very intrigued by this and especially that I was trying to live healthy myself and also I have a family, I am a mom and I was trying to keep my whole family uh, healthy and living long. So I started having, you know, this kind of inkling that I might not be doing the best I should. So uh, I started researching and uh, after reading over 600 research papers uh, and talking to dozens of scientists, I I discovered that exactly I wasn't doing the right thing. I was too much obsessed about nutrition and exercise and I was not putting enough emphasis on the way I was living my life socially or, or uh, mentally, you could say, um, and how on my community, on my social involvement, and um, on my exactly on my personality and things like that, and um, we, whereas they were much more important than I thought. One of the things I think that that I mean, you talk about the research and studying it, and, and is I find that do you find that people tend to overthink the stuff that, or they think you, you like you mentioned, they're thinking about the wrong things when it comes to living longer. You know, I mean, I talk to. Um, you know, uh, Carl Honoré has been on the podcast. He talks about, you know, getting older and, and, and Rich, uh, Rich Carlsgaard also was on the show and he talked about like the idea of being a late bloomer. People tend to like the idea of, of, um, you know, eating healthier, like you talked about and things like that, but there's that, those elements that you were mentioning, the, 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 the softer ones, the emotional ones, maybe the ones that make us more human. Those are the things that kind of are, are, are what we need to look at. What, why do you think we lean in towards maybe the, um, the, uh, the, the 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 health stuff, you know, like the stuff that, you know, we've been kind of has been sent our way as opposed to maybe some of those softer skills that like you talked about empathy. Why why are we pulled in that other direction instead of exploring this stuff so much more? I think there are several different reasons. So, so the first one would be that we generally like things that are easily quantifiable. So we like when we can measure things. So right. for example, you know, when it comes to diet, you can easily 
check whether you had your 100 grams of leafy greens today or not. You can measure how many steps you've taken thanks to your pedometer. Uh, whereas, you know, measuring how kind you are or how optimistic is basically impossible. I mean, you, you can get take some tests or stuff, but it's, it's extremely hard. Uh, so we don't like in our culture this kind of uncertainty. That's one thing. The second thing is that when it comes to this, these soft skills, as you call them, there is nothing anybody can really sell us. Uh, there is no money involved. And when, you know, when there is money involved, <laughs> certain there is lots of people who make sure that we uh, put our attention uh, in certain directions. For example, um, you know, all the fat diets or uh, health products and, uh, and uh, exercise gadgets, exercise classes, uh, supplements, uh, herbal products, things like that. You know, somebody's trying to sell you something. So there is advert, ad, ad, there are ads, there is uh, PR, there is marketing, everything is happening there. Uh, that's the second reason. And, um, and the third reason is, unfortunately, uh, science journalists and uh, like myself, I guess, too. And so the thing is that when we are writing our stories, uh, we have to always come up with something new and exciting. Mm. Uh, the diet and exercise, in fact, are extremely simple. Uh, basically, the message is just eat your whatever five to seven portions of fruits and vegetables per day, no matter which vegetables, you know, can be carrots and cabbage and, uh, and do your exercise. It can be just simply biking with your family, nothing fancy. It's very simple. Uh, just like Michael Pollan said, you know, uh, eat food mostly plants you know not yep. so much and uh, it's very simple but you know there is no story there i cannot sell an article saying eat more vegetables you know that's very boring nobody's going to publish it no, no, nobody's going to buy it you know from me so you have to find something new like a fat diet or you know i don't know eat only purple fruits or uh if you find some kind of new nut in africa that has lots of b6 vitamin or lots of protein or whatever and it's exciting it's new so it sells when you were putting the book together and writing it you must have obviously started to walk the talk just as much as you were researching so what was one of the things that you started to adopt that you felt was going to be really beneficial to you i'm sure you tried all of them but as we all know if you try to do too many things all at once the whole house of cards tends to fall apart and you get overwhelmed and old habits kind of creep back in but was what was one of the things where you're like I'm going to give this a try. And, and you noticed that it was, it was helping you along the way. You know, the thing about those things I'm writing about in Grand Young, so, you know, all this friendship and empathy and, and kindness and just your social life, the thing about it that it's easy to do because it's very pleasant mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to, you know, exactly eating uh, leafy greens, not always very pleasant and, uh, or doing push-ups or things like that. Actually, all these things really feel good. And uh, so it's quite easy to fall into doing them and just enjoyable. You know, if you're the prescriptionist, meet your friends more often. Uh, I find it much easier to do than uh, lose uh, <laughs> five <laughs> kilos. You know, it's like <laughs> I rather meet with my friends. So, uh, And you so, can say you're doing it for science too, which makes it so much more yes. simple. <laughs> I mean, for the book, I've done lots of very weird things as well, you know, like chasing mice around and stuff like that. But but, um, but going back to how it changed my life, so definitely I, I'm I'm putting less emphasis on. I mean, we still eat very very healthy, but mm -hmm. we eat simple. So as I've mentioned before, I you will not find me in a in a uh, fancy organic store looking for some novel vegetables. Uh, I will just be in my 
very local village story buying uh, cauliflower and apples. Uh, so, and not necessarily organic, just very simple. And um, we tend to eat similar, you know, the same dishes on rotation, very healthy, very nutritious and tasty, but nothing nothing fancy and nothing, uh, no, no fancy diets, no supplements. And, uh, as of, as for exercise, we try to do things to, uh, to put together this kind of soft skills with exercise. So for example, instead of going to the gym, uh, where you exercise alone with lots of strangers, uh, it's much better to bike with your family or mow your neighbor's lawn, for example, or do things like that. Right. So I'm really trying to, to just, put together in, and to also to save time, right? Because as I said, I have a family to, to do, find solutions to merge both things at the same time. How important is variety throughout this process? Because I mean, I've noticed for myself that especially uh, in the season where, um, and as we're recording this, we're still kind of in the season of, 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 of a pandemic. Uh, I'm finding that I'm doing things that I've never really done before, like gardening and, and woodworking, working with my hands a bit more. I've discussed this on previous episodes, but doing things that, you know, most people, when they look at me, would go, really, Mike, you do that now? Um, and I'm finding that that variety is actually helping me feel, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's boosting my mood, right? It's keeping me active, and it's, it's kind of allowing me to explore new things. Is variety something that, that people can really kind of uh, tap into a little bit more to help, you know, live longer and, and have a, a healthier life going forward? So here's the thing, not necessarily. So it really depends on your personality, as long as it makes you happy, because the key here is happiness, happiness mm -hmm. and optimism. But if somebody is perfectly happy with their routines and this is what makes them happy, that's also fine. It, it does. You don't have to look for new hobbies or anything like that at all. Uh, it, it's, for, it's just as long as it keeps you happy and uh, optimistic and cheerful and engaged with others, but it's, it can be also routine. So it really depends on personality. I think it's, it's interesting that uh, much like productivity, it's very personal. The idea of, I mean, there's so many articles about there, like do this, wake up at this time, have a morning routine, you know, all these things, but ultimately um, you do have to have, you have to think and, and figure out what's going to work well for you. Um, Let's let's talk about the 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 idea of of loneliness and and especially as we're again as we're recording this right now there's been not a lot of uh, getting together with people as much as we would have done in the past and we don't know what that's going to look like necessarily going forward uh, is is it important to have if you can't get together with somebody in person or you can't have those connections like going to conferences uh, which I know a lot of people who who I interact with being in Canada most of the people I interact with are in the U S I'm not going there anytime soon. Uh, how important is it to, to, um, what can you do to kind of, kind of break through that loneliness barrier or feeling alone or fe when, when you're kind of stuck in a place, like what are some of the things that, that you can do to kind of push that through? Cause I think that does play a role as well. Right. I mean, loneliness is horrible in terms of health and longevity. So, uh, you know, loneliness, for example, uh, increases expression of genes that promotes uh, that promote uh, progression of cancer. Uh, lonely people have shorter telomeres, so those um, protective caps at the ends of your chromosome uh, that. Uh, take part in aging process. Uh, generally, people who are socially isolated are even three times more likely to die prematurely. So, so it's, it's really, really bad for your health to feel lonely. So definitely what's going on right now with you know, rates of loneliness going through the roof. It's, it's not good at all. And especially, you know, in Canada, things were not very 
good even before coronavirus. Mm-hmm. For example, consider that uh, about half of all Canadian seniors over the age of 80 say they are lonely. So that's that's really not the way it should be. Um, so, so definitely we have to find solutions to feel less lonely these days. And um, and uh, what can help is definitely, you know, having as much online contact as you, ha- you as you can. It's not the same as contact in person, precisely because we are physical creatures. And when we meet other people physically, uh, then things happen in our bodies. For example, when you touch another person, you get oxytocin boost. So this love hormone gets, you know, starts circulating in your body. The same when you hug people, when you look people into their eyes. So we are very, very physical creatures. And uh, when we don't have that, it's not good for our bodies because, for example, this oxytocin, the love hormone, uh, it's not about only making you feel good, but it also impacts your health directly. So for example, this this particular hormone uh, reduces pain. Uh, It promotes bone growth, uh, which can prevent osteoporosis. So it really has very, you know, effects on both sides, emotional and strictly physical. So so not seeing people in, in person from our health perspective, is not a good thing. Of course, we still should um, try to prevent the spread of the virus, of coronavirus, as much as we can. But uh, maybe, you know, if you live with someone already, you have family, like you said, you have yourself, and try to improve and increase the contacts there. So try to hug your spouse as much as you can, or try to hug your children, you know, maybe even more than you would, you would do before the coronavirus. I want to talk about help for a second. And uh, the reason that I bring this up is, um, you know, I'm trying to connect people again, like you said, uh, I want to make sure that I keep those connections going. And, and uh, I sent an email uh, several weeks ago, just asking people how they're doing. No other reason. A lot of people on my, my email list and such, I got a lot of emails back. I'm still kind of waiting my way through them because it was one of those ones where like, Hey, just email me and let me know how you're doing. And there was a wide variety of, of, of responses and it leads me to the part you talk about in the book about about helping others um, and how it helps you. And I've talked with clients about this too, like serving others uh, and self-serving. If you do serving and self-serving, if you do self-serving right, you end up serving others anyway. Why? Mm-hmm. How, how can help uh, helping others b- boost your longevity? Because the, the conventional thought would be, well, if you're helping somebody else and you're taking something away from yourself, but that's just simply not the case. No, and the reason for that is that um, we have evolved something that scientists call the caregiving system. And basically, it's a system of physiological processes, body, body, m- bodily mechanisms that uh, activate when we help others. And the idea is that it evolved so that we could take care of our mostly of our children, so those who are dependent on us. And uh, when you when you're an ape and you're taking care of your little ones, um, to be able to do it properly, you have to stay calm. Because if you are too agitated, too anxious, you are not a good carer. You know, just like on a plane, they always take you, tell you, put your mask first on yourself. So it's a little bit similar with what, bo- what our bodies do to us when we care for others. So the, what happens is this caregiving system, which involves certain you know, brain par- parts of the brain, like in the insula, for example, certain hormones, there is cortisol that gets, uh, gets um, lowered, for example. And, uh, and uh, so what happens is that we calm down. The system makes us just cool down and be more zen so that we can take care of others. But when we are more calm, of course, that has 
tremendous health benefits to us because lowering the levels of cortisol and generally uh, putting brakes on this uh, several stress uh, axis that we have in our uh, in our bodies makes us healthier and makes us live longer. So this is why caring for others boosts your health. Starting an online business or expanding your physical storefront online has never been easier thanks to Shopify. This global commerce platform supports you at every stage of your business journey. From launching your online shop to managing a million orders, Shopify is there to simplify and accelerate your growth. It's not just about selling products. So Shopify helps you manage every aspect of your business with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. But that's not all. Shopify helps you convert visitors into customers with the best converting checkout process on the internet, which performs up to 36% better than other platforms. And now a special offer for my listeners. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale up, Shopify is the perfect partner for your business. Managing passwords can be a real headache, right? Think about it. Every website requires a new password. Each one needs to be unique, secure, and somehow memorable. But there's a better way. Welcome to the world of 1Password, where your entire company can generate strong, unique passwords, store them securely, and access them across any device without ever needing a reset. Imagine never having to click Forgot Password again. With 1Password's award-winning design, managing passwords becomes a breeze for you and your entire team. It's trusted by millions, including top companies like IBM and Slack. Here's the best part. My listeners can try 1Password for free for two weeks. Right now, get your free trial at onepassword.com slash productiveconvo. Secure your passwords and simplify your online security with 1Password. Are you a small business owner struggling to find the right talent for your team? I've been there, and I know how challenging it can be. That's why I recommend LinkedIn Jobs. It's not just any job board. It's a community where you can find professionals who are the perfect fit for your business, many of whom aren't checking other job sites. In fact, 70% of LinkedIn users aren't visiting other leading job sites, making LinkedIn your best bet for finding top talent. With LinkedIn jobs, you can post your job and reach qualified candidates quickly. 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And now... You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation. That's right, for free. Don't miss out on finding top talent. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash conversation today. Terms and conditions apply. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. 
Now we're going to take a break from the conversation, but when we come back, Marta and I are going to dig deeper into the idea of what can help people when it comes to uh, growing and staying younger and how to live longer. And yet, man, this has been just such a great conversation. We'll get back to it in just a second. But first, I want to share some thoughts on the sponsors of this episode. And the sponsors of this episode are SetApp. It's SetApp. It's a subscription for Mac apps. And I love what SetApp has to offer. SetApp launched in beta in 2016 ahead of a full official release in January of 2017. So they've been around for a while. And SetApp was founded by MacPaw, the company behind other popular Mac apps, including Clean My Mac and Gemini, both of which I have on my Mac right now. And, and SetApp has more than 180 apps. In fact, as I start to go through some of these apps, some of them will sound familiar to you. To Do is one of them. Eon Timeline is another one. Be Focused, the busy uh, suite of apps, Busy Cal and Busy Contacts. Uh, Cappuccino is another one. Cle- Again, Clean My Mac came up. Uh, there are a ton of them. Direly, that came up recently because a lot of people who uh, are using Day One have switched to Direly because, uh, again, it's it's a fantastic journaling app and you know how i feel about productivity journaling i think it's really important there are a slew of apps that you can find via setup and new apps are always being added to setup updates are free and all the apps are full featured pro versions that's really important and setup has a dedicated curation team that only selects the highest quality of apps you don't need to spend your time your precious precious time invested on app discovery and testing setup makes it easy to get the best tools when you need them they're already in setup and it's also a great value at just nine dollars and 99 cents a month so instead of paying thousands for separate licenses there's just one flat monthly fee so remember setup packs over 180 high quality apps into one there's an app for almost any task so you can stay in your flow and finish what you started i want you to check out what setup can offer you so visit setapp.com and give setup a try it's free for seven days so again Check out setapp.com and give it a try for free for seven days. You'll absolutely love it. I do. And if you're a Mac user and you want to have those high quality Mac apps, setapp is what you're going to need. So visit setapp.com and give setapp a try. That free seven day trial, it's well worth your time and your energy. You will absolutely dig what setapp has to offer you. Give it a try today. Okay, it's been a while since I've done this, but I want to share with you my Productivity is Podcast pick of the week. And it's actually not a podcast that I listen to every single time out because some of the episodes don't really resonate with me all that much, but when there are ones that do, boy, do they. And it's the Tim Ferriss Show. And the reason I'm bringing this one up is because Tim Ferriss recently interviewed Hugh Jackman. And I've always, you know, had a kind of an affinity towards Wolverine and Hugh Hugh Jackman's work in in shows like The The Greatest Show and, and things like that. Um... But when I listened to this episode, it was I was beaming from ear to ear. I recently uh, shared my thoughts on it on social media briefly. But if you want to check it out, I, I highly encourage that you listen to uh, Tim's podcast. I mean, there's lots of guests that you're really going to get a kick out of. I mean, if you like this show, you're going to like what Tim Ferriss talks about in, in a lot of cases. Yes, there's going to be some shows, like with every podcast, that you're not going to enjoy. But I have to say that uh, you know more often than not, Tim Ferriss's show is one that I really enjoy. So my Productivity is Podcast Pick of the Week. Not that he needs the additional audience, but nonetheless, if you haven't checked it out yet, I highly encourage you that you check out the Tim Ferriss Show. It's my Productivity is Podcast Pick of the Week. Now let's get back to my conversation with Marta Zaraska here on the Productivity is Podcast. 
Another thing that, that you, you talk about in the book, and also it's not terribly quantitative, is meditation. Um, <laughs> the idea that, I remember this old adage where, some, where a business person was asked, uh, asked a, a meditation expert or a guru and said, um, you know, I, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm feeling this, you know, uh, how, how much should I meditate per day? And, and the guru said five minutes. And then he said, the, the person said, five minutes, I don't have five minutes. And he <laughs> goes, okay, well, then you need to do it for 20. Um, <laughs> this idea that, so uh, we, we hear a lot about meditation. You know, a lot of people, you know, the idea of journaling is another one, right? Like these things that are, that are not, not new um, and they've shown to be beneficial um, it's, it's, it's not, again, like you talked about earlier with diet research and stuff, like so, a lot of this stuff is not necessarily new. Um, number one, why, why do you think it helps with, with longevity meditations in particular, and, and some of those other activities you mentioned in that chapter uh, where you talk about, you know, like slow breathing and things like that. But also why do you think so many people have a problem getting their head and getting into it, leaning into it going, you know what? I know this may not seem like it's a good idea, but I'm going to give it a go anyways. Because I found that when that happens, you just it, it, you find oh it does work. I was just being stubborn and, and biased. Mm -hmm. I mean, generally meditation a little bit similar to the to the caregiving system. So basically, it calms us down, and you know a lot of those things that are happening in our bodies have to do with response to stress, to our fight and flight uh, response, and uh, how it how it affects our bodies. And it's the same with meditation. And meditation changes us so much that, for example, when you put someone who is a long-term meditator into an fMRI machine, you can see actually uh, changes in their brain activation patterns. So and they even blink uh, blink differently and they breathe slower and uh, so there are very biological changes to when you meditate um, but one thing I wanted to say is that actually even though we do talk so much about meditation these days if you were to choose volunteering and um, taking care of your marriage and your friendships and your neighbors is more important than meditation. Meditation mm -hmm. is good for you, but not as good as having a uh, happy romantic relationship or strong, strong friendships. So there you go. So for those of you who have been staying ra railing against meditation, now you have research that backs your claim that you can actually yeah. claim will work. Um, okay. Uh, I want to talk a bit about, and you, you close out the book and I've spent some time looking at this as well because I'm not a fitness person. I don't spend a lot of time going to the gym. The high-intensity workouts that I've tried, they just don't work with me. But then I found the idea of Ikigai and the idea of movement and making things, you know, kind of just doing something every day to stay active, going for walks. And you talk about what, you know, the idea of what we can learn from Japan's way of living, you know. And, and I know that, it, you know, Dan Buettner uh, is, you know, he, he – endorses the book at the top and he wrote the blue zones. Right. So, and, and for those of you who don't know what that is, I'll, I encourage you to check out the research, um, and, and his work as well. But what can we learn from, from the Japanese way of life that will help us with our longevity? I mean, they definitely recognize that the soft, the soft drivers of longevity and health are extremely important to the point that uh, the health minister of Japan actually considers having purpose in life as one of the most important things you can do for your health. Uh, so, and the, they call it the ikigai, exactly. So the reason for living. And uh, this is something that gives you this kind of feeling that there is something, some purpose to your life. And when I was traveling across Japan and talking to centenarians there, uh, they were 
the the most often heard response I heard responses I heard were uh, that either their jobs or their uh, involvement in their community was their ikigai so their purpose in life or their children for example things like that but um they basically everybody knows what you're talking about when you ask in in japan whether you have your purpose in life and they really recognize it as an extremely important uh reason for longevity and the research does confirm it so there are actual hard numbers behind it as well that having purpose in life uh helps you live longer and stay healthy how hard was it for you to go through this book as you're going and, and realizing there was so much qualitative stuff that you, it was harder to measure. Cause I mean, if you're talking, I mean, science, they, there's, it's data. Like people have, I mean, it's that idea of, I remember watching, I think it was Ricky Gervais talk about like, if a science experiment was being done, uh, you know, now in a hundred years from now with exact same conditions, everything, you get the same result. But if it's, if it's more of a, uh, where we're more storytelling and things like that, more anecdotal, more, uh, again, that idea of he used religion as an example, but things would not be told in the exact same way. So as you're going through this and, and you're real, you know, you're, you're seeing these things that are hard to measure. How, how did that work for you as, as somebody who, you know, when you're, when you're going through this process going, you know, how am I going to kind of convince or persuade people that these are with, 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 with uh, evidence that, mm -hmm. hey, this is what you need to do. Th these are things that you can do. Like that, I don't know if it was a challenge for you, but I, 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 I imagine it was probably a bit of a different undertaking. No, actually, completely not a challenge at all. Actually, I had the opposite problem. There was so much hard data out there, you know, how, uh -huh. because you can really see those things on the level of gene expression, you know, on the, lever, on the level of cells or, or on, on um, so it's extremely biological, extremely physiological, and there are things you can measure. You can see different differences on the level of people's white, white blood cells, for example, how, uh, how, whether they're kind or not, on their brain activation patterns. So there is really a lot of very hard data out. There. So my challenge was the opposite, actually, <laughs> trying not to put too much because I was tempted, as you said, I'm science journalism. Uh, so, so I was tempted to put all this hard data out there, but I had to be careful not to put too much of it. So that was definitely another problem. I was actually shocked myself how much there is and how how physiological it is, all is and how deeply it affects us. As I said, you know, it, it can change your gene expression. So it's it's really it's really fascinating to me. And that's why I wanted to make sure like we address that because I think that, you know, as we're going through this conversation, it's important people pick up the book because there's so much in there that you know, will surprise you. Like there's things like you talked about, the, you know, some of the experiments that you did. Let, let, let's actually talk a little bit about that before we wrap up. So when you're, what was one of the most surprising things you found during your research for this book? I mean, I definitely had lots of fun doing it. You know, the the things I've researched, like you know the uh, the Tanganyika laughter epidemic, or you know, or or chasing meat, uh, sorry, chasing mice uh, around uh, the forests of uh, Oxfordshire in in UK. Um, there, there was a lot of things, you know, that's really uh, I had tons of fun and. Um, one of the things I've done was uh, an experiment on myself. Of course, calling it experiments is a big word because I was a subject right. of one. So it, does, it wasn't very scientific, but there are actually um, real scientific studies on uh, hundreds of people who confirmed uh, the same results. But I just wanted to try it for myself. So what I've done was that um, uh, with a collaboration from some scientists uh, from University College London, I've done uh, I've done an experiment of how random kindness affects our 
stress hormones, uh, the stress hormone cortisol uh, in, in particular. And what I was doing was that for a week, I, I designated myself three days when I would do uh, acts of random kindness and a lot of them for the, throughout the day and four other days, kind of control days where I would just live my life normally. And every day for those seven days, I had to measure my cortisol, which involved um, chewing on cotton swabs three times a day, which was actually absolutely horrible uh, uh, experience. I, uh. <laughs> I would not believe how horrible it is to chew on a cotton swab for two minutes. It's just like, oh, oh. I'm getting goosebumps as you say it. Cause I, I, I dreaded it. You <laughs> cannot even imagine. It's just like, it doesn't look that bad, but it's horrible anyway. So that was the hard part. But then the fun part was doing the actual acts of kindness. It was very, very pleasurable to actually do that. And just even planning it, you know, what I'm going to do nice to people today when on the days when I was doing the intervention, it was really, really pleasurable. And uh, after I sent all the swabs uh, to the lab, they came back with results for me and calculated that on the days when I did the acts of random kindness, I had a much healthier cortisol response in my body because it's not just about the level it's about how it fluctuates for your day and it was obviously visibly much much healthier it was much calmer and I, in my body was much in a much better shape on those days even though one of these days when i was wearing an unkindness was extremely stressful for for outside reasons for me and yet my body still didn't get as stressed as it probably normally would so it was absolutely fascinating to see it on myself things i was reading in you know re actual uh, scientific journals well it's almost like so i mean i know it's not terribly scientific but it creates epiphanies, right? Like when you start to do things, I remember when I started to explore gardening during the season and I'm like, you know, I mean, I didn't have, I'd never touched it before, but now actually it's funny as of this morning, I went outside and it looks like some, some creature, either a raccoon or deer possibly got at our strawberries, like the first harvest. And I'm like, I've always marveled at the deer from afar and been like, Oh, they're really good. Now I'm like, Oh, the deer. <laughs> um, but, but I didn't, you know, I was always like, Oh, well you just, you know, you water the plants and that's what you do. But then I watched one video, just took one where the person said, if you're growing for sustainability and you want to have food on, a, you feed the soil and you the soil feed the plants. Now that's not new information. It's not, it's not like it's, but for me, it was that like, Oh, so yeah. it was one of those cathartic kind of like, again, that the epiphany. And when it happens to you, then that all of a sudden it just starts to reverberate, right? Like the idea of, oh, this worked for in this one instance or this piece of information that moved, you know, like the idea of, of like you said, where you're like, oh my goodness, I, yes, I had this horrible experience that you got to get these results. But, uh, but, but, you know, you learn through doing those acts of kindness. It's like, th that's a... That, that tells you something that will be life-changing for you, right? Like, you know, hey, if I'm, you know, giving forth this kind of, you know, these kind of kind acts, I'm going to be better off for it. And I think that that, again, going through the book and, and seeing, you know, some of this stuff, and again, I, I'm actually kind of stunned that, that there was so much that you could find and how physiological it is because, again, those things feel like they're more emotional and not rooted in anything beyond, like, you know, just, what you, the environment you're raising or, you know, and, and as you know, we talked about the blue zones, like where you live is that actually let's, let's shift real quick before we wrap up is, is where you live helpful in this case too, or is it, is it not as important as some of this other stuff? Like where you live, does that play a role mm -hmm. in, in this? To a, to a point. I mean, it doesn't really matter, you know, whether 
I don't know, there are lots of uh, chateaus around you or anything like this, or whether there are mountains or it's flat or this mm-hmm. is not that important. But what it, what is important is the kind of community that you have where you live. So this is absolutely vital. So uh, there was actually one town in um, in United States, in Pennsylvania, called um, Rosetto. And um, this town became famous in the 50s and 60s because um, so, uh, doctors discovered that basically nobody was having any cardiovascular disease there. Nobody was dying of heart attacks, which was very weird because uh, in surrounding towns, which shared the water supply and shared the climate and healthcare, everything was the same. And yet people were just, you know, having heart problems just like anywhere else in the US. But in this particular town in Rosetto, people were super healthy and they didn't know why. So, uh, the town was settled by immigrants from Italy, but it was not their diet because they gave up their diet completely when they moved to US. They were eating horrible, actually, very fatty diet and very unhealthy. Um, it was not their diet. It was not their genes. Uh, they checked for that. But what they discovered was it was actually the community. So uh, they did bring from Italy their very strong ties, community ties, and they were extremely neighborly. They were constantly visiting each other. Uh, they were constantly having parties where they, everybody would invite everybody. And they had lots of civic uh, organizations in the in the little town. I think there were 22 civic organizations in the town of uh, 2,000 people. Uh, so, so they were extremely, they had extremely strong community and this affected their longevity and their, uh, and their cardiovascular health. Whereas in the 70s, uh, as the new, gener- in 80s, as the new generations uh, came, they actually abandoned the old ways and they went more for the suburban style living and working long hours and chasing American dream. And unfortunately, as scientists actually have predicted before, uh, their cardiovascular health suffered and just became American average, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, I think, I mean, one of the things that, that I really try to, and I love living on the island, Vancouver Island, where I live is like ever since, whenever I come home, I just feel better. I feel like this is where I'm meant to be. And I remember reading the blue zones and seeing some of those places. And you, and again, Japan, you know, Okinawa comes up as one of those. And, you know, Marta, uh, just as, as a final, um, question or final request for the listener out there, if someone wants to take a step to start growing young today, what's one, one, one action that they can stay, take starting today, that's going to help them in that, in that journey. So work on your social connections. And if you have a romantic partner, then invest in that relationship because this is the most important thing you can do for your health and longevity. Uh, and uh, if you don't, then uh, then in your invest in your friendships. So this is the most important, second most important thing for how long we live. And it's more important, as I said, than uh, meditation. And it's actually more important than healthy diet and exercise, even though it's still important to eat healthy and exercise. But if you had to choose somehow, if somebody forced you, you know, you either can eat healthy or have good friendships, then it's friendships uh, that, that are actually more important. So, so definitely spend more time with your friends. And yes, these days it's difficult, but maybe, you know, maybe you have one friend with whom you can, uh, you can meet and safely and just commit time to, to that relationship. Marta, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. The book is called Growing Young, How Friendship, Optimism, and Kindness Can Help You Live to 100. Where can people pick up the book and keep up with you and your work? 
So definitely Amazon, the usual. Uh, but other than that, you can visit my website and that's www.growingyoungthebook.com. Marta, thanks again for joining me today on the Productivityist Podcast. Thank you so much for having me.